This is an ABC podcast. And here we go. Rolling sound, play it. I just felt like the whole world was like looking at me and I was making the biggest fool of myself that anyone had ever made. Because it wasn't me, I just knew how cheap and ridiculous this idea was. As I go in to put the stupid black nose on and just drag out this dog suit again, I've got Elijah Wood waiting for me, all these big Hollywood executives, and I just said, this is a bad joke gone too far. Welcome to Days Like These. I'm Faza Draki, and today's story is about how a man's life was changed when he put on an animal suit. Not just once, but over and over again. And it's about how one suit, a dog suit, seemed to want to take over his life completely. Our reporter Sam Wicks brings you this story. And just a warning, it has some strong language. This dog's tale starts in the early 90s, when Jason Gann is kicking around Toowoomba, studying acting and smoking weed. He's got bills to pay when he hears about a clown gig going at a big department store. They give us the job and we do this clown thing for the kids at Christmas and they love us. The next year they call us back and they say, we want them to do uh, the show again, but it's Disney this year. So that's when I get the idea, let's do Chippendale and we'll just do the same show, but we'll borrow some costumes from college, those uh, bear costumes, and we'll just paint our faces like chipmunks. get high while we're putting on our makeup and we're singing songs and the kids absolutely love us so within a very short time we become the biggest children's entertainers in the Darling Downs region. Being in an animal suit might be fun for a short stint but after a while they're kind of horrible to be in. They're hot and sweaty and generally smell pretty bad. It was a bit soul destroying. We um we were entertaining for kids, but it wasn't what either of us wanted to do as young actors. Getting into these sweaty bear suits. So I'm done with that. Jason ditches the chipmunk costume and heads to Brisbane in the hope of finding more fulfilling work. And he does get another job offer. Again, it involves wearing animal suits and it's entertaining kids. But he's making progress. This time the show isn't in a mall, it's in an actual theatre. It might not be the serious acting gig he dreamed of, but it is spiced with variety. I'm playing all sorts of different characters. You know, the second goat and the three billy goats gruff and the third pig and three little pigs. I eventually graduate to the big bad wolf as other actors drop out. And I'm playing Edward the Emu and it's a ridiculous costume I'm wearing and you know, I know the show back to front. There's only one way he knows that he can get through this and maybe enjoy himself at the same time. In between the second and third show each day, I'm going to duck up to the dressing room and I'm going to smoke a a pipe. (coughs) The third show is always a lot more enjoyable when I am high because, you know, I lose myself in the character a little bit. I play Prince Charming in the middle of that show, you know, I get out of the Edward suit for about, you know couple of minutes on this debonair prince and then I'm back in the emu suit. The kids love it. 
As I come out from my curtain call, Dad be screaming like it was actually deafening. And, you know, the other actors would put their fingers in their ears and I'd kind of look around smiling, blushing. But I remember thinking, this is the, what they said it was like for the Beatles. But when I'm up in that dressing room, I'm getting high and I'm looking out over the train tracks of industrial Bowen Hills. And at this point, I believe that I am the best actor in the world and that I'm trapped in these animal suits playing these kids. I feel like I'm not in my rightful place, like I should be, you know, winning Academy Awards somewhere. Jason's over the costumes and he's bouncing between Brisbane and Melbourne, sniffing out new opportunities. He's crashing on a mate's couch there and whiling away the hours on the end of a bomb. Jason's mid-rip when his friend returns from a night out. He comes home after a date and he's just been cock-blocked by a dog. And he just said that the dog just uh, was all over him, just sort of like, like looking at him and just giving him so much, just putting so much pressure on him that he totally got cock-blocked and he couldn't get anywhere with the girl. So without even thinking about it, I just start slipping into this character of this De Niro-type dog. Jason and his friend can't stop thinking about this dog character badgering his owner's new love interest. So they start writing a script. Have a good night? Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Where'd you go? Oh, we went for a drink and, and then we went and saw a band. Oh, yeah? What band? Patterfinger, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah? Basically, it's a conversation between two blokes and one of them happens to be a dog. We're clapping at the end and we say, that's a short film. We got on the computer straight away. We just... I dictated it from memory as best I could. Adam's writing it out, bashing it away, and people are like, well, this is a short film here. We're onto something. They really want to make this film. But first they need to nail down some details about the dog. And he said, I'm not sure if Jason's the right name for this dog. What are you going to call him? And I said, oh, what about Wilfred? He said, I love it. Well, he said, what's he going to look like? And I said, oh, shit, I think I know exactly what he's going to look like. All these years at kids' shows, you know, I always thought it was hilarious. I remember once seeing one of my co-stars dresses Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer with a cigarette in her hand. She's given Santa a mouthful for being drunk on stage, you know, backstage, and just thinking, you know, how it's just so surreal seeing us in these animal costumes, swearing and stinking and sweating and fighting. And I'm like, well, look, it should look like that. You want one of these? Thanks. The dog will be a bong-smoking dog. It'll be played by a bloke in a dog suit, and the bloke inside the suit will be Jason. I need to be in the most hateful costume possible. I need to be look miserable and look ridiculous. So we go to this costume place, and I just see this old, bedraggled, grey thing hanging down off a coat hanger, and it's like obviously hasn't been hired in years and I just put it on and we both straight away Adam and I said this is Wilfred so um do you sleep in here yes I do Adam I still sleep in here quite a bit but not at night not allowed to sleep in here at night anymore why not I get in its yards at night and uh, just uh, rubbing it on the carpet a bit and I'm not allowed to do it it's naughty Right. Mm. 
The short film is put together on a shoestring budget, but it is a success. Wilfred screens at the 2002 Trotfest Short Film Festival. It wins Best Comedy and earns Jason the Best Actor Award for his role as the foul-mouthed, pot-fueled pooch. On the back of the wins, Wilfred's pitched as a TV series. After some knockbacks, it's picked up by SBS and it becomes a cult hit. Finally, Jason feels like he's realised his dream of becoming a real actor. He's writing his newfound fame for all it's worth, but something isn't right. I'm going to nightclubs and drinking every night. People are constantly dragging me into toilet cubicles and racking up lines of coke on the toilet. My personal life is an absolute mess. You know, three knives pulled on me in one week in St Kilda. I was really getting in some bad places. Still not making much money, and what money I got, I'm going out every night, buying everyone drinks like I'm a big shot. I wasn't enjoying my career at all. But at the same time, as a writer, actor, performer, I'm touching something that I know is close to genius. He's starting to feel trapped in the dog suit, just like he did in those kids' shows. He knows that he's spiralling. But he's not about to give up the perks either. Being Wilfred means invitations to fancy do's and a ready supply of drugs. He's at one of those parties when something happens that will cause him trouble for years to come. He gets an invite to the Victoria Derby Day races and he spends the day drinking in the VIP tent. By the time he decides to leave with his girlfriend, he's had a skin full. I was, uh, yeah, pretty intoxicated and I'd already gotten almost into a fight. Just pissing down rain on Derby Day and we tried to get on a bus and they're not going to let us on. And everyone in the back of the bus is like, no, nah, there's no room. We're only driving over to the train. I'm like, just let us on, you cunts, I said. You know, and I was being obnoxious, no, no getting around that. From there, things just get more heated between Jason and the bus driver. So I grab him by the jacket, he grabs me by the jacket, I threw a couple of Hollywood punches. It's an ugly scene. But he doesn't think much of it at the time. That all changes when he's charged with assault. I knew then that I'd run out of luck here. I knew that if I had a criminal conviction that I would never be able to work in America. And my dream was always to be a Hollywood actor. So on the slim chance of avoiding a conviction, Jason pleads guilty. He gets a 12-month good behaviour bond and avoids a criminal conviction. But the story is all over the media. Personally, he's bumping along the bottom of rock bottom. Professionally, though, things are really happening. He's starting to get offers from the US. There's talk of redoing the show for an American audience. The extent of my ambitions is if I can sell the formatting rights to Wilfred, they might let me become a staff writer on the show. His US manager wants to aim higher. He says, uh, look, I've got this idea. He says, hear me out. I know you don't want to play Wilfred again. I said, I'm not getting that fucking dog suit again. But then Jason hears the magic words. He said, I think this show could be your Mork and Mendy. Nanu, nanu. 
He said, just like Robin Williams and the alien, everyone's going to remember the dog, and it doesn't matter if it's a hit or not, people are going to remember the dog, and you're going to be able to walk into any room in Hollywood, and you'll be able to design your career like Robin Williams did. I can't argue against that. I said, if you sell it, I'll do it. He inks a deal with a major US network, and Lord of the Rings actor Elijah Wood is signed on as his co-star. Since those Toowoomba days, when Jason dressed in animal suits, he has dreamed of being a Hollywood actor. And now he is. When he lands in LA, his manager is waiting for him. He picks me up from an airport in a fucking uh, chauffeur-driven limo and takes me to his Malibu mansion on the beach. And I've got a whole downstairs section of myself. I'm like, holy shit, man, this isn't how the Aussies normally come over to Hollywood. <laughs> And he says, yeah, and here's a, um, a Mustang, yeah, Kelly Clarkson had given him. I'm driving around Kelly Clarkson's old Mustang on the freeways in Hollywood, and I'm like, holy shit, I'm here. Jason might be in a new country with a new TV deal, but he is still spiralling out of control. I went to some party, and um, I pissed someone off, and... I was alive at the party, and this girl came up to one point who was running the party. I remember she said, um, Jason, did you call a girl a cunt? I said, no. And then the girl comes around, and she said, what about her? I said, oh, yeah, I called her a cunt. And so I got kicked out of the party and uh, smashed a bottle on the street, and I'm like, holy shit, it's starting again. It's not just his demons catching up with him. The bus driver from the races has sued, and the court has ordered Jason to pay up when we were talking about settling for, you know, 40k, which I couldn't afford, suddenly they're talking 200k, and I'm like, I've got nothing. The stakes have been raised. Jason needs this version of Wilfred to be a success. But the closer it gets to the end of filming, the more he worries about whether he's embarrassing himself in the dog suit. This creeping feeling really starts to kick in on the day of a photo shoot on Venice Beach. There's no expense spared. There's vans, there's like the best catering you've seen in your life. And I'm feeling like I'm kind of cloud nine, but the back of my mind is always like, yeah, but this isn't real because it's Wilfred, right? This isn't really me because I've got to get in that fucking suit eventually and I'm not looking forward to what happens when I have to. And I see this suit just hanging there, like this ominously, like... I don't think I can get in that dog suit again. And all the years of suffering and what that dog suit represented. I got down on my knees and I said, God, please help me find a way to love this. Nothing happened. And I got in the suit, knocked on the door, Jason, we're ready. And followed them out there and everyone's like, hey, it's Wilfred, it's Wilfred. I'm like waving, like acting cool, but I'm dying on the inside. It's one thing to make a fool of myself in front of all of Australia, but now I'm about to make a fool of myself in front of the whole world. I kind of had noticed that there was this guy there watching. This guy comes up to me, and he's an Aussie guy, and he says to me, Mate, I'm over here on holidays. I, I didn't even know you were over here doing this. I'm walking down Venice Beach, and I see you doing this. Keep going. You make so many people happy. Keep going, mate. And I just knew straight away that was God telling me how to find a way to love this. That gets him through the photo shoot and the rest of his commitments. But as the show's launch date approaches, his nerves only grow. A girl that I'd met 
decided she was going to throw a party, a screening party at her apartment. I couldn't find a park uh, immediately, and so I had like a meltdown. And I, I, I said, I can't make it. And I didn't go. And I went home and turned off the lights. And when I knew the show was screening across America live, I was underneath my blanket in the dark in a fetal position, shaking. It turns out US audiences love Wilfred. One critic says it's the strangest show on television, but also the funniest. Just like in Australia, it's a hit, and it's renewed for another season. As well as playing Wilfred, Jason works as a writer on the show. And one day, when Jason leaves the writer's room to check his email, he gets a message from Elijah Wood. And he says he's doing a press tour with Robin Williams for Happy Feet 2, and Robin wants me to know that him and his wife are huge fans of Wilfred, and he would be keen to play a guest role in there, like maybe play an animal or something, a cat or something. I just ran into the writer's room. I said, uh, Robin Williams wants to be in our show. And uh, the showrunner said, you know, look at all the stories. There's, there's no character for him. I said, I repeat, Robin Williams wants to be in our show. We're going to find something for him. Robin Williams is written into the series as a doctor at a psychiatric hospital. And here I was with Robin fucking Williams in my show. And I was nervous. I didn't get, don't get nervous much for meeting celebrities, but I was nervous this day. People are milling around the coffee truck and stuff, and I, I see him. Uh, and he's talking to someone, and I see that he sees me. I'm just trying to act cool, and I shook his hand, and he said, it's an honour. And he said, the honour's mine. And I just, like, laughed, like, oh, man. I said, well, let's, let's just agree that it's a mutual honour. And we just hit it off, you know, really well and uh, really well. I told him about the bus driver stuff, which wasn't something... Jason has a hit show and has not only met his hero, Robin Williams, but worked with him after Williams asked to do a cameo. And as his Hollywood career takes off, Jason is getting his anxiety under control. After some stints in rehab, he stops drinking and smoking weed altogether. He becomes a father too, a life change that motivates his sobriety. For the first three years of riding Wilfred in America, I'm not smoking any weed at all, and uh, didn't have a drink and uh, nothing. You know, I'm a dad. I'm just a complete. My, my baby's never seen me drunk. You know, I'm a different man. I'm totally reinventing myself. And you know, I got there was pressure to be high because I mean, when I wrote the Australian Wilfred, I was high every time I'd get to the keyboard. But in this case, all oh, the other writers were. But I, I never was. Through all of this, Jason is still suffering long days in the dog suit. Putting it back on was difficult, but every time I just say to myself, this is for the fans, it's for them, it's for them, it's for them, and I'd put it on, it would give me the strength to do it. Sometimes I'll finish a scene and I'm sweating, and when I take it off and I just throw that hood as far as I could, you know, I didn't go very far, get that fucking thing off me. But in around about season three or four, you know, it started to feel like more like a superhero suit than a burden. Every time I put on the suit, I'm in the zone, I'm Wilfred. And it was almost like Wilfred was this other thing that was much bigger than me. So I really, by the end of the show, had found a way to love that guy. But just as Jason finds acceptance for the suit, it's time to hang it up. After four seasons of the American TV series, Wilfred raps for good. 
And so by the time it came to end, and spoiler alert, Wilfred the dog died at the end of the American series, you know, it was over. And people would come up to me and they, you know, who had worked with me, say, oh, I can't wait to see what we do next. What are you going to do next? I said, well, look, I'm not even going to try to top this because, I mean, Wilfred is Hamlet in a dog suit. I'm never going to top this character. Jason tries his hand at a few other things in Hollywood, and he picks up some screenwriting gigs, but his calendar is pretty empty. You know, things started going a bit downhill for me in Hollywood. You know, I wasn't making as much money from these scripts, weren't getting made, and I wasn't happy, you know. I was going and pitching two, three shows, and my former manager was right. You know, Wilfred did open up every door in Hollywood. But I didn't do a very good... I wasn't smart with business, you know. And my asking price was getting less and less as time was ticking by. And Jason is back on the weed. He'd picked it up again as he made the last season of Wilfred. Yeah, I spoke to my therapist and I just said, I'm thinking of smoking weed again. I said, cannabis for me is um, spiritual. It's a spiritual experience for me. So as Jason is pondering his next move post-Wilfred... He packs a cone. All of a sudden, he finds himself drawn to the dog suit, still hanging in his wardrobe. When the show finished, I was given a choice of what to keep. I kept a bunch of props and I kept a, one of the dog suits. Didn't know why, but I thought, oh, that could be handy one day. Just for a laugh, Jason takes that mangy suit off its hanger. And as he's looking at it, his mind drifts to all his social media followers. So here I jump in the suit, take a photo of me pulling the bong, and I did this joke out. Wilfred's Weed Delivery Service. Remember the good old days before there was all these difficult choices at the cannabis dispensary of what strain, what you're going to smoke? Well, those days are back because Wilfred's Weed Delivery Service is coming to your door. It was just a joke, but his fans didn't see it that way. They went crazy. That's all right, the guy from the show, that's what he's doing now. He'll come to your house, deliver your weed, and he'll even for an extra hundred bucks smoke a bong on your sofa with you. Is this real? Is this real? We're doing a road trip to California, we've got to smoke Wilfred's weed. So that's when I saw, okay, there's a glimmer of hope here. There's something here. Not for the first time in Jason's life, a joke is about to turn into reality. With recreational cannabis now legal in California, it's time to teach an old dog new tricks. What was driving me and killing me was like, I know what cultural significance Wilfred is. People writing to me every day to tell me I helped them or saved their lives. It's, it's such an honour. But I had no financial legacy. And I just had this vision of my kids and their kids in years to come saying, yeah, I'm Wilfred's kid. Where's all your money? Oh, he was an idiot. And he just let other people take it. And he just lost everything. And so we're poor. And it killed me. And it still just drives me on. He has to learn all sorts of things that he'd never known anything about before. Business, manufacturing, marketing. There was money to be made in the marijuana market. But it also came with some downsides. Then, you know, I started taking some losses, you know, like 24 pounds of missing flour that, you know, were unaccounted for. And, you know, anything I was making, I was losing because my boots went on the ground, you know. I moved to Spain and I would have to fly back to California because it's a cash-only business, right? You're not allowed to use the banks, so it's legal in California but not federally legal. So I would have to fly from Spain to Sacramento and stay in a shitty hotel. A guy would come to my hotel with a bag of cash. He obviously had a gun on him. Together, he counted in front of me and, you know, always good guys, but I would... 
hug my kids a bit tighter and my family a bit tighter before I'd go to pick up cash because, you know, people did get robbed and it was possible I could get killed. These days, Jason is keeping his head and trying to grow his business, even donning the dog suit from time to time. It turns out Wilfred's raggedy get-up had always been a suit of armour. These days... When I put the dog suit on, it's a ceremony. I don't know how many more times I'm going to get in that dog suit. And I hated it for so many years. Like, I honour that dog. You know, that dog has given me so much. Even though I wanted to throw him away so many times, he just keeps coming back. So every time I put it on, and every time I draw on that black fucking nose, it's an honour, and it's a little ceremony. And I just am very grateful that... <laughs> At this age, I'm still dragging on the dog suit every now and then. I don't put it on as much, but I, uh, yeah, every time it's special. Big thanks to Sam Wicks for that episode of Days Like These. And if you've got a story, please share it with us. You can send a voice memo or an email. Just drop us a line at dayslikethese at abc.net.au. And if you haven't already, follow Days Like These on the ABC Listen app or wherever you listen so that you never miss an episode. Tim Roxborough was the supervising producer. Our sound engineer was John Jacobs. Sophie Townsend is our executive producer. Music from Jason Gann's group, Sofa Mecca. The story was produced on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri and Gadigal peoples. I'm Fazadraki, and I'll catch you next time. <laughs>